Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Legends, Lore, and Larceny. I'm your host, Charlie Stone, and I want to thank you for joining me this week for another deep dive into weird stuff. Uh, Last week's episode about vampires was really fun to do. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I appreciate the interaction on the episodes. Keep that up. Uh, It makes me feel good knowing that people actually listen. Uh, This this week's episode is going to be something that I'm interested in, uh, but I don't know a whole lot about, so there won't be a what do I know segment this week uh, because it wouldn't have anything in it. Uh, Let's talk about crossroads. What are they? Well, you've probably been in a crossroads in your life, literally or figuratively, at least once. Now, literally, a crossroads is a spot where two uh, or more roads meet in a four-way stop situation. And then figuratively, a crossroads can mean a moment in someone's life where they have a big decision to make. You know, should I go to college and get an education in hopes that a diploma will help me find a job I'm qualified for? Or should I skip school because I already know what I want and I'm good at it? Should I focus on work or having a social life? Should I put a joke into a podcast episode about vampires sucking toes? Or should I try to be a normal person? You know, there are, there are a lot of examples of crossroads that people face daily. And folks have been finding themselves at crossroads for millennia all over the world. So, in other words, there's weird stuff all around the world. Weird stuff... I say weird stuff around the world. Uh, and just a, just a note here, if I sound different, um, I'm recording pretty early for me in the morning. It's about 8 o'clock, uh, and I'm kind of talking low so that I don't disturb my uh, roommate because it's Saturday and he deserves his sleep. Okay. Crossroads are symbols of change, decision-making, and access to other worlds in multiple civilizations and religions. These same peoples and religions attributed countless gods and monsters to these places of division and possibility. Let's look at them, shall we? Well, let's start with some Greek and Roman gods who you and I are probably most acquainted with through media like the Percy Jackson series, which I personally was obsessed with as a kid. In Greek mythology, there are two crossroad goddesses, and they very well may be one and the same, just identified differently. Uh, Ancient Greece was a big place made up of between 1,200 to 6,000 different islands, not all of which had people on them, but you know, many of them did. They were divided by water, and while they could get around via boats and stuff like that, their cultures must have had differences. And I say this because I'm pretty much an expert on ancient Grecian or Hellenistic society because I played Assassin's Creed Odyssey almost to completion. So I am 
you know, a scholar of sorts. Uh, anyway, back to the goddesses. Uh, they were Enodia and Hecate. Like I said, they're very similar. Uh, but from what I've been able to find, I think Enodia was a forerunner of Hecate. So I'm just going to describe Hecate, and you can assume that what I talk about also applies to Enodia. Uh, sorry to any ancient Greek listeners uh, for any historical inaccuracies that I talk about. But, you know, then again, if you're listening from ancient Greece, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you can't send me an email or leave a review. So I'm not going to worry too much about it. Uh, Hecate has sort of a mysterious origin. Back in the days before writing was invented and popularized, uh, stories of the gods and goddesses of the people uh, before ancient Greeks were passed down orally. So the stories were always shifting. It was like an ongoing game of telephone. Uh, some stories said that Hecate was the daughter of a titan and a nymph. Uh, the titans were the beings before the gods. Uh, some stories claimed that she was actually a mortal princess who was gifted godhood and immortality by Artemis. Um, other stories claimed that she was a daughter of Demeter or Zeus. And I don't think we'll ever know, uh, you know, the real origin behind Hagati because it's been such a long time and the story was always shifting. Um, but we do know some stuff about what she represented. Uh, Hecate was a liminal goddess whose symbols included doorways, gates, and of course, crossroads. She also had some sacred animals that became equated with her. Uh, one was a black dog, and the other was a polecat. The dog uh, was a Greek princess named Hecuba, who jumped off a cliff when her city was besieged. Hecate took pity on her and turned her into a dog, who would become her constant companion. The polecat, which is an animal I had never heard of, is also one of Hecate's familiars. According to a quick Google search, a polecat is a weasel-adjacent animal, which was apparently pretty big in Greece. They have a little raccoon mask, and they're known for ejecting a skunk-like fluid when threatened. The story of Hecate's polecat goes like this. A witch named Gale made Hecate mad because she farted a lot. And that's about it. Anyway, uh, Hecate hung around the underworld a lot, and she was able to cross between the underworld and the overworld, therefore existing in both, which lines up with her symbols of uh, doors and gates. She has also been equated with magic over the years and has been shown as a three-in-one goddess, which is actually a pretty common trope in religions all around the world. Uh, she is known to be the patron of many witches and magic users, uh, like the three witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth. Uh, and she's also sort of like a feminist icon, especially for women who practice magic, uh, I think Hecate is a uh, a big being in their uh, magic stuff, but I don't play around with crystals, so I don't know. 
uh, Hecate is shown to be able to see in every direction at once. Uh, what with her having he- three heads, which you know historically is better than one. Uh, many crossroads in the ancient world would have statues of Hecate near them to symbolize her power in the area. Uh, I love the version of the Hecate in Neil Gaiman's Sandman series of graphic novels, wherein she is shown as being three women, the crone, the matron, and the maiden, who could also be the fates or the norns or, you know, really any other three-in-one deities from mythologies that offer advice. Uh, So that's Hecate, but she's not the only one from that part of the world. Later in history, when the Romans adopted the Greek pantheon and changed it to fit their culture, they changed names, stories, and symbols. One of the goddesses most changed by this syncretism was Artemis, who now went by Diana, goddess of the moon, the hunt, and also crossroads, and was also called a triple goddess, just like Hecate. Sometimes she was even in a... uh, you know, a weird triad thing with Hecate and Selene. Uh, she mostly used crossroads along with hunts, as in paths in the woods, to find the tastiest deer, I think. So next time you're hunting, send up a request to the three-in-one Diana, and she'll send you to the tastiest and most scrumptious bear. And, you know, maybe you'll even live. Uh, Now let's go to South America, specifically to Guatemala. This next guy, he might just be my favorite crossroads deity, just because he's a little trickster guy. Uh, Maximon is the product of Mayan mythology and Spanish Catholicism meeting and syncretizing, or combining to make something new. That's what syncretism means uh, in regards to religion. Uh, Maximone is seen as a gateway god who is, uh, who is a being with a dual nature. He enjoys doing both good and bad things and is often equated with Simon Peter, who, in Christianity, holds the keys to the heavenly gates. Uh, Maximone holds the keys where he's from and either chooses to catch and ensnare people or let people loose who have been captured. He's a real complicated guy. Uh, Some stories claim that men who left their villages for trade or travel would often entrust the safety of their wives to Maximon, who would keep them safe, but would also disguise himself as a loved one to, uh, you know, to bone everybody in the village. Like I said, he's a give and take kind of guy. Maximon would also travel the roads of Guatemala a lot, and would especially travel to different crossroads, arranging chance meetings. And if you, you know, if you follow the signs that he lies in your path, you will find safety and success. Now, what are the signs, you may ask? Well, since Maximon is a trickster, he can actually uh, shapeshift, like I said earlier. Uh, He was known to show up in a traveler's path as a bunch of stuff, including birds, skunks, little girls, and even ripples in the water. So he could be literally anything. Uh, If you ever find yourself in Guatemala and you're looking for blessings of wealth, prosperity, or love, you can find a shrine to Maximon and leave him gifts of moonshine, cigarettes, 
or the gift that keeps on giving cold hard cash uh let's move over to africa and talk about some more liminal deities starting with legba if you've watched season three of american horror story coven then you'll probably recognize the name of this liminal deity uh, Papa Legba, as he is sometimes called, is the chief communicator between humans and the Iwa, beings from African folklore. If you listened to the season one episode about zombies, you probably remember these guys. In fact, after this episode, why don't you go back and listen to that one? You can also learn more about voodoo, voodoo, and vodun in that episode too, so I'm not going to go too in-depth. In typical Vodou practices, people trying to summon one of the Iwa would have to go through Papa Legba first. He would mediate rituals for the price of cigars, candy, rum, and other sweet treats. In American Horror Story, he was portrayed as wanting a human infant for sacrifice, which is just blatantly untrue, and I think they, they the show writers threw that in to make it scarier, I guess, but... Generally, Legba's a good guy. Uh, Legba was sometimes seen as a trickster, though, and much like Maximon, he would help uh, innocent people near crossroads and guide them along their ways. Uh, so that's Legba. Now let's head to east, to the east, to Japan, sorry, which hosts gods that I know literally nothing about. It is said that the god or gods of crossroads from Japan are called Chimata no Kami, which is another multifaceted being. Chimata no Kami is made up of Yachimata Hime and her husband, Yachimata Hiko. They watch over roads, especially crossroads, and offer advice like the other gods and goddesses, but they also act as a single guardian spirit. The main thing they guard against are ghosts, demons, evil gods, and haunted houses. Uh, this duo is often represented as an old couple who appear on out-of-the-way paths. They sort of have the job of Anubis in Egyptian folklore, too, which is to uh, judge the newly dead and send them either to reward or punishment. Uh, and that's pretty much all I could find about uh, Chimata no Kami. There's not a whole lot um, that is accessible on the um, mainstream internet. I'm sure if I had done a deeper dive, I could have found more stuff, but I was in a time crunch. Um, okay, enough about gods. Let's talk about monsters and then wrap this weird stuff up. Well, what do you know? We're going back to Romania and Eastern Europe, where you have to be careful where you walk at night, since vampires and witches are known to lurk around crossroads to curse you or suck your blood, or maybe your toes. In the UK and Ireland, if you find yourself around a crossroads, make sure to listen for a dog. The legend goes that black dogs hang around crossroads, and if you hear three successive barks, you're going to die soon. Black dogs, by the way, are harbingers of doom and agents of death. So, you know, maybe they aren't good boys. Maybe they're the rare exception. Uh, down in Wales, the boggle, or 
Bogle is sort of a little goblin guy that enjoys pranks and causing blight in potato fields, but they all aren't always so harmless. Uh, there's something called a death boggle, which foretells death if you happen to see it at a crossroads. I guess they're sort of like gremlins, maybe? Uh, what I do know is that Welsh people back in the day would create scarecrows called tatty boggles to guard potato fields. Uh, tatty meaning potato. So that's what I'll be calling scarecrows uh, from now on because tatty boggles sound so much fun. Scarecrow, it just invokes a sense of fear. You know, if you're just walking in a corn maze or a, or a potato field, uh-oh, there's a creepy scarecrow. How about trying to say this in a serious voice? Don't look now, but that tatty boggle just moved. You can't do it for long. You can't say tatty boggle too much without cracking at least a smile, and then, you know, you won't be scared. Wow, that was some really weird stuff from around the world. Okay, that was a little bit of a longer weird stuff. Uh, I mentioned liminal deities a lot during that segment, so, uh, you know, I'll briefly explain. Uh, Liminal deities, as you may have figured out from context clues, are beings that can exist in two or more worlds at the same time, like Hecate... Janus, and even Jesus Christ. There are a lot more deities which could be called liminal, and I'm sure there are a lot more crossroad deities that I couldn't find online, but they were either impossible to find, or their lore was way too complex for my little caveman brain to understand. Uh, There was one, I think it was an Indian deity, but it was made up of seven seven different women that were all wives of Indian deities, and I just couldn't keep track of all of the information. Uh, so the plus side, plus side of that longer segment is that now you know a whole lot more. There's one more deity or genre of deity that are supposed to hang around crossroads, and that would be Judeo-Christian demons, and even the devil himself. I'm not really sure when the devil started showing up at crossroads, probably sometime back in the Dark Ages, but the myth didn't catch fire in the mainstream until the early 20th century, thanks to a musician named Robert Johnson. Robert Leroy Johnson was born in 1911, somewhere in Mississippi, probably Hazelhurst, His father was probably Noah Johnson, who never married Johnson's mother, Julia Major Dodds. His childhood isn't very well documented, that's why I said probably a lot, but there's a lot of speculation, which I'll use to uh, create a picture of Johnson's life. Julia, Robert's mother, got married to either Charles or Robert Dodds. Uh, His name was either Charles or Robert, the same dude a black landowner in Hazelhurst. You know what? I'll go with Charles. I'm partial to that name. So not long after uh, Robert was born, the Dodds were almost lynched and were forced to leave Hazelhurst, so they began traveling around Mississippi, staying at different plantations for about two years. After this period, 
Julia brought two-year-old Robert to Memphis to stay with Charles, who had changed his name to Charles Spencer. Uh, Robert spent between eight to nine years with uh, Charles Spencer and learned school stuff like math, reading, and science, but the thing he learned the most about and enjoyed the most was the blues. Uh, This time in Memphis would be the catalyst for Johnson's legendary career later in his life. Uh, After eight or nine years, Johnson left Memphis and lived with his mother and her new husband, Dusty Willis, in uh, Arkansas. Shortly after Robert joined them, they moved from Arkansas back to Memphis. Uh, No, not Memphis, Mississippi, in about 1920. Uh, In Robinsonville, Mississippi, Robert went back to school and met Virginia Travis, who he would marry in 1929. Uh, This means that Robert would be uh, around 18, and Virginia is speculated to have been between 14 and 16, which I guess was less gross back in the day. Um, After their marriage, Virginia would die in childbirth along with her child. Uh, Robert was devastated and started putting his entire life into playing the jaw her the jaw harp blech, the harmonica and most importantly the guitar uh side note virginia's family after her death would say that the death of virginia and her child uh was quote unquote divine retribution because robert was singing secular songs okay Uh, Robert would meet several famous Delta blues singers like Willie Brown, Charlie Patton, and Son House, who would listen to Robert play. They weren't particularly impressed uh, until Robert went away for six months to a year. Uh, This was because in 1930, Robert had been playing guitar in a bar or a jazz club, and everyone inside threw him out because he was so bad. Uh, Robert left town, maybe in search of his biological father, Noah Johnson, near his birthplace in Hazelhurst. And then this is where the crossroad myth comes into the story. Near Clarksdale, Mississippi, there's a shrine at the crossroads of highways 61 and 49, commemorating the location where Robert Johnson may have sold his soul to the devil in order to play the guitar like no other. When Robert Johnson came back to Robinsonville, the blues players laughed and joked that Robert was back to terrorize the people with his horrible playing, but when they heard his new skills, they were blown away. They'd never heard anything like it. Now, there are two explanations for this. One, like I said, is that Robert met the devil. Now, the story goes that Robert approached the crossroads of 61 and 49 at night, called out for someone to help him with his guitar skills, and was then approached by a large man dressed in black. It could have also been a large black man. Stories kind of vary. Uh, Robert could sense that this guy was from another world and asked for his help. This man agreed to help under one condition. The man asked for Robert's soul. Robert agreed, not thinking of the future. The man took Robert's guitar, strummed a few chords, and gave the guitar back to Robert. The strange man then disappeared. Most people who believe this legend say that the man in black was old Scratch himself. 
For whatever reason, the devil loves making deals at abandoned crossroads near midnight and will give gifts in exchange for souls. Other people claim that this mysterious man was none other than Papa Legba, helping Robert out with his music career for something. Maybe not his soul, but that comes into play later. Now, when Robert came back home, his playing impressed people, like I said. Some people who heard him play said that they swore there were two guitars playing, almost as if the devil was playing right next to Robert. Now, there seems to be a logical explanation to Robert's six-month to a year disappearance. This is the second explanation. Uh, And it's that he learned to play from an old blues musician, Ike Zimmerman, in another part of Mississippi. But that story is no fun. Uh, Except that... I didn't include this in my notes. I just remember it. But um, apparently, Ike Zimmerman learned to play the blues in graveyards around Mississippi and supposedly learned it, learned the blues supernaturally. And that's what Robert did. So, you know, either way that Robert learned, it might have been supernatural. Uh, After... Robert learned to play the blues. He started traveling around the South and sometimes venturing up north to places like New York and Chicago. In 1936, Johnson was invited to record some songs in San Antonio, Texas, which instantly cemented his skills with the blues with a larger audience. Uh, Johnson recorded some more songs in 1937 in Dallas, Texas, and expanded his discography. Now, I don't know... I don't remember how many songs he recorded. How many songs did Robert Johnson record? Uh, Okay. Okay, this site, granted, it's Wikipedia. I know, but it seems to be a reputable source for most things. Uh, it says that he produced 29 distinct songs, so less than 30 songs. Um, where was I? Yeah. Uh, Johnson recorded some more songs in 1937 in Dallas, Texas, and expanded his discography. Uh, Robert had a promising career in front of him since he was one of the best blues players in the game at the time. But there was a shroud hanging over Robert. His immortal soul belonged to someone else, or so the stories go. Some people think Robert never really forgot this fact because of the subject of some of his most famous tunes. Let's look at some of those. Crossroad Blues was recorded once in the session in 36 and again in the second session in 37. This song helped to build the mythos of Robert selling his soul to the devil. Here's the first stanza. Went to the crossroad, fell down on my knees. I went to the crossroad, fell down on my knees. Asked the good Lord above, have mercy. Now save poor Bob if you please. Now does this song directly reference the devil or a soul transaction? No, but it does indicate that Robert was at a crossroads at least once, either physically or spiritually. Uh, Next is a song called Me and the Devil... (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Me and the Devil Blues. How about these lyrics? 
Early this morning, when you knocked upon my door. Early this morning, when you knocked upon my door. And I said, hello, Satan. I believe it's time to go. This one is a little more on the nose. It seems like he might be waiting on the devil to come and repossess his soul. Um, and, you know, all of these could be allegories or metaphors. But it's more fun to believe that he's actually, you know, singing about his experience. Um, one more song called Hellhound on My Trail. This one is spooky, so I'm going to read all of it. Okay? Good. First one. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. Blues falling down like hail. 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 And the days keeps on worrying me. There's a hellhound on my trail. Hellhound on my trail. Hellhound on my trail. Verse 2. If today was Christmas Eve, if today was Christmas Eve, and tomorrow was Christmas Day... If today was Christmas Eve and tomorrow was Christmas Day, oh, wouldn't we have a time, baby? All I would need, my little sweet writer, just to pass the time away, to pass the time away. Verse 3. You sprinkled hot foot powder around my dough, all around my door. You sprinkled hot foot powder all around your daddy's door. You keep me with rambling mind, rider, every old place I go. Every old place I go. Verse 4, last one. I can tell the wind is rising, the leaves trembling on the tree, trembling on the tree. I can tell the wind is rising, leaves trembling on the tree. All I need's my little sweet woman to keep my company, my company. Now this song is haunting because it makes it seem like Robert is waiting for something, specifically a hellhound. A hellhound in Judean, Judeo-Christian folklore, sorry, is a canine servant of the devil who comes for those who have sold their souls to Satan, their four-legged repo men. Uh, also in the song, Robert refers to hot foot powder, which is an old hoodoo tradition. Uh, hoodoo is different than uh, vo- voodoo or vodun. Uh, it's like folk magic. It's, it's sort of like an offshoot of voodoo, I guess. Uh, hot foot powder is a concoction of herbs and spices that are supposed to keep unwanted visitors, uh, either natural or supernatural, away. Sometimes hoodoo legends get hot foot powder and goofer dust confused because goofer dust is essentially the same thing, just using different spices. Now, the year after Robert recorded these songs in Dallas, Robert would be in Greenwood, Mississippi on August 16th. Reports on what happened are widely varied and go into lots of conspiracy, but the general consensus is that Robert Leroy Johnson died. Some stories go that he drank a bottle of poisoned hooch given to him by the jealous husband of a woman Johnson was flirting with at a jazz club. Some other sources say that Robert was born with congenital syphilis and it finally caught up to him. But everyone who believed Robert had made that deal on the crossroad believed that his time had come, and the devil took his immortal soul to hell. However, Robert died. He left a lasting impression on blues and music in general because his songs have been covered by countless famous musicians, from the Beatles to Clapton, and was included in Rolling Stone's 2011 list 
of the 100 greatest guitar players of all time. Maybe he really did make that deal, and maybe a lot of other musicians did too. Johnson died in 1938 at only 27 years old, making him a member of the 27 Club, which I'm going to do an entire episode on later this season. So if you want to know more about this crazy conspiracy, well, make sure to stay tuned. Uh, I guess that's about it for this episode. Sorry it's a little on the short side, but that weird stuff segment was uh, pretty long, so I hope you learned about some weird stuff. Now, like I said, there's a lot more information about Crossroads and the Delta Blues, and Robert Johnson, he wasn't the only one to sell his soul on the Crossroads. Um, People like Tommy Johnson also did, no relation. Um, But, like I said, I had a time crunch, so I can only get so much into this episode. Um, and I'm I'm just one man with an overly busy schedule anyway, so I do the best I can. And I hope you enjoy the work that I put in. Uh, if you do, make sure to uh, leave a comment and a rating on the, uh, on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That would really help the show spread to more people. Look for information about the show on Instagram at Legends Lore Larceny Pod and X, formerly Twitter, at Legends LL Pod. I'll post episode updates and info there. If you have questions or episode suggestions, DM me on social media or shoot me an email at charlesstone 75 at gmail.com. That's Charles Stone, no spaces, no caps, 075 at gmail.com. Look for new episodes every other Saturday, and until I hear from you, stay legendary. See you soon.